0: You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg Podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. The Historic Foodways program has been brewing 18th century beers since 1994, and their hard work is paying off with some special recognition. In 2014, Colonial Williamsburg's Old Stitch Brown Ale took first place in the United States Beer Tasting Championship's 20th Annual Competition. Here with us now to savor this victory is Frank Clark, who is master of historic food waste. Frank, thank you for being here today.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, Arlene.
0: Talk to us about the historic brewing program and how that's a part of historic foodways. How can we understand beer as part of the colonial table?
1: Well actually in the 18th century probably many folks got up to half of their daily calories from beer. Uh, so beer was an important part of foodstuffs for the average Englishman of the 18th century. Uh, and this is something that I realized as I first began my apprenticeship in, in historic foodways. Uh, and part of our apprenticeship is to pick a particular topic to research and to study. And so um, as I was looking around at at things, I began to realize that uh, beer was one of the areas that no one had really made a comprehensive study of. And uh, so I approached my supervisor at the time and I told them I wanted to study historic beer and make that my apprenticeship. And, And they kind of laughed and said, no, you just want to drink beer, uh, but uh, eventually I convinced them and, and created the uh, historic brewing program, uh, the mystery, the arts and mysteries of brewing as we call it in, in the historic area, and as we started doing it, we found more and more information and more and more uh, refining of the process over time uh, to, to create the program that we now uh, present to the public four times in the spring and four times in the fall. I
0: talk about refining that process because it's tricky enough to to homebrew now, you know, today, but you're using 18th century recipes, methods. I mean, how is the science of that Tricky.
1: Well, one of the problems was that actually I started it 20 years ago, and and that was before the internet came in in a big way, and and has completely revolutionized the the study of of historic foods, or frankly any ph- phase of history at this point in time. Now, you know, I can walk over to computer and flip on brewing records from England in five seconds. And in in the 90s, when I was doing this, basically I had to go to England in order to do it, and that's one of the things that really helped. Helped my program is, is I took a trip over there and while I was there I got to go to some of the actual 18th century breweries that had survived in country homes of England at the time and get a, a visual view of all this equipment uh, you know reading a brewing manual is one thing and they're going through all the descriptions of things but it, it really comes together when you see it all right next to each other and in the proper place and in the proper location and it really starts to make a lot of more a lot more sense so that helped me kind of understand. What my equipment needed to be and where where it was and and what the processes were and, and all those sorts of things and what they're talking about when they ask, when they talk about a hop back or uh, underletting or all these other various terms from the period. Sometimes they're still used by modern brewers, but they're used on different equipment and in a different way. And so trying to figure out the vocabulary of the brewing of the 18th century has been a, a long process. And then there was also a very long process of trying to figure out the actual recipes because the the ingredients themselves have changed a great deal in the last 200 years the hops that we grow today are far more powerful than the hops in the 18th century. The barley that we grow today is a much stronger variety of barley than they grow then. And we discovered this as we started following the recipes. And one of the first beers we made came out at 14% alcohol. Uh, And we realized that this was not something that everybody was drinking every day. This was, you know, uh, there was something wrong here. And we began to go back through the recipes and try and figure out what the the problem was. And finally realized that the problem was that our our, our barley is so much better, and so when I go out and buy malt today, it is you know four times better than what they were going out and buying in the 18th century. And so we have to sort of adjust the recipes for time, and uh, that was a tricky process because we never really knew what the alcoholic strength of the beers were at the time, uh, and and eventually we began to discover that as well. They they had invented in the 18th century a device called they called the sacrometer. We today call it hydrometer, and it allows you to measure sugar and suspension in liquids and thereby figure out the alcohol content of your beers. The problem was the the treatises and the writings about these sacrometers in the 18th century use different scales than the modern ones do. And I had no way of knowing, uh, translating it until I finally got in touch with a a fellow in England who uh, referred to these brewers' pounds. He said he learned them when he was young in in the industry and uh, and had a formula for converting them into the modern uh, scales. And as soon as we got that, we could then go back through these books and figure out, okay, this porter was 6.5% alcohol, every porter he's making is between 6.2 and 6.5% alcohol. So uh, we now make our porter at 6.2 to 6.5% alcohol. So you know we sort of learned to refine the process that way. So there's been a lot of changes over time, really, uh, in terms of of the technology and and following the recipes and and understanding what they mean and, and the processes that they were using.
0: So you've learned about the differences between the recipes and the processes. I'm curious about the differences between the taste, between what the 18th century palate expected and what we expect from a beer today. Was a very different tasting beer?
1: It could be at times. Well, the thing is there's a lot of, of sort of strange styles of beer in the 18th century that, that really don't exist anymore. Uh, and those have faded out because tastes have changed Uh, but but the real difference between their brewing and ours is consistency. Today a modern brewer uh, has the ability to produce the exact same beer every time he brews. Uh, The 18th century brewer didn't. The changes in the ingredients without the science to understand how those were different and and to be able to compensate for them exactly make it difficult to make the same batch of beer every time. Uh, So one year's harvest of barley, one year's harvest of hops. Uh, are going to have different flavors, different strengths uh, than the next and, and so even if you're buying from the same brewer each time, he's not necessarily going to be making the very same beer. Sometimes it'll get infected because he doesn't have stainless steel that he can sterilize like a modern brewer. He's using wood which harbors infections and uh, he's fermenting out in the open and various other problems that modern brewers can eliminate. Uh, he can't come up with a consistency of product that the modern brewer can. And so So beer went bad. It always will, it it still does today, but uh, they can control it a lot better. And and so uh, I think in the 18th century, most consumers were understanding of that and were willing to drink beers that were a little bit sour, a little bit weird, a little bit off, that a modern consumer would immediately take back to the store and demand their money back from. Uh, So we have a different sort of taste. Now there are still some modern beers that that may be closer to that, and, and those would be the Belgian beers. Uh, Belgians still open ferment in some of the traditional Belgian breweries uh, and their beers are are very different uh, from the the modern American beers which are all clean and controlled. Uh, They have off flavors, they have sour flavors, but that's part of the flavor profile. And, And I think that was true of the beer Porter in the 18th century as well. The Porter brewers aged some of this beer for up to two years at a time and there's no way you could age beer in a wooden container for two years without infection. So we know it was it was basically souring it, and then what they did was blend some of that sour beer in with the fresh beer and sell it that way. Uh, and so they could sort of create and control a flavor of a certain sour flavor that they added to the beer. Uh, and, and sour beers are, are actually fairly popular these days among the microbrewery communities. You see lots of of Belgian beers and wood-aged beers and things coming back into to popularity again, but most modern consumers find them a little bit weird and, and probably uh, are, are more favorite of, of beers that have you know a little cleaner flavor profiles. Mm.
0: We're so proud of this historic brewing program. Not only that you built it from scratch 20 years ago, but the, to the point now where you're distributing it with a local brewery and you're winning awards. Tell us about the Old Stitch that you uh, that you won this award for.
1: Well, the Old Stitch was is a beer that was sort of hard to track down. We've seen I saw a number of references to it in brewing manuals, but no actual recipes for it. The best one was from uh, a 1740s manual, which was describing. Uh, making what they called brown stout beer, a strong brown ale, Uh, and, and he was talking about using the second and third runnings. What the English did when they mashed beer at the time was to take grain and add water to it, mash it, extract the liquid, and turn that into beer. But they did this process three times, and each time they did it, they got less sugars back than the last time, because some of the sugar had already been removed from the grain. And so what they really ended up doing is making three beers of descending strengths a strong ale a table beer and a small beer and these three beers would be all made and brewed at once from the same pile of grain uh, but would have different strengths and different uses the small beer was everyday beer the strong beers were kept and stored for long periods they are often called keeping beers Uh, sometimes they're called stout beers because they're strong and stout Uh, and so um, this beer was, was basically a table beer. It described in the recipe that it's not as strong as the strong brown ales, but it's stronger than the common beer. Uh, and so from that description, I could figure, well, this is an alcohol percentage of somewhere between five and six percent. Uh, and so we started to work from that basis and then tried to find a proper am- malts from manufacturers today that would be similar to the ones that were made in the 18th century. And that's, that's a tougher process uh, because a lot of that is trade secret today. So uh, I can't call up a maltster and ask him what temperature he roasts his, his grain at because he's just not going to tell me. Uh, so I have to sort of guess based on 18th century descriptions and, and modern malts I can get what sort of matches, uh, and that's how we we came up with the the old stitch recipe, and and we wanted to make it a very balanced beer. You could taste a little bit of the hops, you could taste lots of malt and a full malt character, and and have a little um, you know. Uh, but but a very drinkable beer, not something that's gonna you know knock you out. Uh, something you drink over time. What what modern brewers call a session beer.
0: And and why did it win in your opinion? Well, you know, I think because it it,
1: it did those things very well. It, it balanced quite well. Uh, a lot of beers in in the American microbrewery industry today tend to be what I call one note beers. They have one flavor that they emphasize over the others. Uh, IPA is a perfect example. Any of the IPAs out there, they're flavor profile is geared towards hops. And usually in the, many of those beers, the, the flavor of the hops completely overwhelms any of the flavor of the grains. Uh, in this case, what I was looking for was a balanced beer, a beer that you could taste all the different elements of, uh, sort of at one time. And, and, and I thought we did that very well. Uh, I was surprised at how well the recipe converted from the 10-gallon batch that we make to the 25 barrels that Jeff make, and And I think most most of that credit is due to Aleworks and, and Jeff uh, Logan, the brewer there, uh, who's, who's the one responsible for producing the, the old stitch today, and uh, he's just done an incredible job of, of making that beer consistent and, and, and great quality and, uh, and a wonderful blend of, of the best of what we could do here at, at, at the small scale.
0: What's next for you in the Historic Foodways Brewing Program?
1: Well, we're continuing to work with ale uh, works on new beers. Uh, the, the crown of the achievement will eventually be the porter. Porter's an extremely complex and complicated beer in the 18th century. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was aged for long periods of time, for up to two years. Uh, but it also had sort of strange ingredients a, a burnt sugar mixture they called a bina, and a licorice root extract called Spanish juice that were often added into these beers as flavorings and also as coloring agents to darken the beer uh, as well. And reproducing those today is, is actually quite difficult. Uh, it requires burning sugar in a cast iron pot, and that's not something that you can really do in a modern brewery. And so we're trying to figure out ways around this and, and how to how to work this process out so that we can eventually do this beer. We'd also like to age the beer in casks made by our coopers here at Colonial Williamsburg, uh, and and then blend it back in just as the 18th century brewers did. So this would really be our our most authentic beer in the sense of the authentic ingredients, but also in the authentic process in terms of aging and blending of the beer, uh, which was the standard for for porters at the time. Uh, And we wanna work on a beer as well that has a, a high hop flavor or profile. Uh, not to say that uh, uh, we were just talking about that, but but certainly in the 18th century there were also beers that had hop, high hop flavors and profiles, and these were beers that were generally designed to be shipped places, shipped to America, shipped to the West Indies, shipped to India, uh, and later we, they become known as India Pale Ales. Uh, we're going to work with a sort of a, a proto version of that, and an earlier version. Uh, the, the ales coming out of Bristol in England were sent a great deal to America. They show up in in Virginia a lot, they show up throughout the colonies here, and Bristol seemed to be a big uh, brewing and shipping center to the New World, and so we're going to try and replicate a beer from that period uh, that represents sort of a a hoppy beer for export, beers that were intended to be aged up to a a year or so, so they're fairly strong in alcohol and have a real lot of hops in them to preserve them for the, the long trip and journey.
0: I'm sure everybody listening wishes they had a pint in front of them right now, <laughs> really. listening to you talk. Where can we find these beers? You mentioned Williamsburg Ale Works.
1: Ale Works produces the beer, but Colonial Williamsburg is the exclusive uh, retailer of Old Stitchin' and, and the other beer we produce with them, Dear Old Mum, which is a lighter oat and wheat ale uh, with spices in it uh, uh, that is also uh, receiving good awards uh, and, and various uh, good compliments as well. So, uh, both of these beers are produced by Ale Works, but they're sold exclusively at Colonial Williamsburg Taverns and Stores. Uh, And so you really have to come here to get them.
0: All the more reason to visit. Frank, thank you so much for being here, and thanks for all the good work you do in Historic Foodways and with the brewing program.
1: Thank you very much. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. We're always glad to hear your feedback. Send us an email at podcast.history.org.